Good evening. You're warm enough. I've got my big furry coat over there, if anybody wants to borrow it. Yeah, there it is, Chewbacca coat. Um, I've got three pictures I want to describe to you before I go into the sermon, and I just want you to, I hope that you'll be able to think about these pictures in your mind as, as I go through this passage, because I don't know about you, but I find that passage very convoluted. You know, it's a bit like a tongue twister. How can you say it really, 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 really fast <laughs> and say it all right? And does anybody know what it means? So um, before I unpack that, I've got these three pictures I want you to just think about. The first one is of our daughter Sophie when she was just born. And she was born by cesarean two weeks earlier than her due date because she was breech. And uh, the doctors gave us a choice back in those days. I don't know if they do now. And they said it's 50-50 she could die if she was born breech and got stuck and they don't turn the babies anymore or didn't back then and uh, so we decided we would have a cesarean and we would have her out two weeks earlier which the advantage was was that we could phone everybody up and say Sophie's going to or our baby is going to be born um, on such and such a day at such and such a time but after she was born, she became very jaundiced. And I don't know if you know what that is, but it means the baby's skin goes very yellow. And um, they put her under a lamp, and they told us when we went home that we'd need to put her out in sunlight a lot. So, bless her, she was out in the sun <laughs> from an early age, soaking up the sun's light. And apparently the sunlight is what deals with that condition and helps them rebalance themselves so that's one picture a baby lying in sunlight soaking up sunlight and that sunlight healing what's wrong with them the second image is of a friend of mine who had something in his life that had happened to him in the past and it had caused him to have uh, deep compulsions that he couldn't control that were destroying his life and his peace And he was a Christian and tried to live a good Christian life, but secretly he had these terrible compulsions which were driving him uh, to despair. And one day he had an encounter with Jesus where he was worshipping Jesus and kneeling at at a cross. And he had this experience of the blood of Jesus just showering him. And it was during that time... I mean, it was a spiritual experience. Uh, it's how he describes it to people. I don't think it was literal that he was showered in blood, but it, it was this image of him being absolutely soaked in the blood of Jesus. And from then on, he was able to overcome those compulsions and those things that were bringing such misery to his life. And the third image is of... Uh, me, as I was learning to pray for people back when I was 18, uh, in a church in Belfast, and um, it was a guy called Ken Newell, who was a Presbyterian minister in a church near the university, uh, Queen's University in Belfast, and uh, a lady had brought her 12-year-old son to be prayed for, for healing. They had a healing service that they advertised in the local paper, so you got anyone and everyone coming to the service. They weren't necessarily churchgoers 
or anything like that. Our nude model from art college turned up one day. <laughs> I thought she looked familiar, but it took me a while to realize who she was with her clothes on. But, you know, there were all sorts of people came to that service for prayer. And um, this lady had brought her 12-year-old son who had club feet. And I saw this and thought, oh, no, I don't want to do that. I don't know how, you know, I can't pray for that. You know, I preferred, you know, sore back, bad knee, that kind of thing, but club feet, you know. And I, we began to pray, uh, despite the panic. And uh, I remember just praying for the love of Jesus to soak this boy's legs and feet and ankles. And we prayed for him for about half an hour. And during that half an hour, we watched his feet straightening out. It was phenomenal. And I haven't seen anything like that since then Uh, but it was just a lovely experience of soaking somebody in the love of God um, and seeing something happen and change in them so those are three images I'd like you to just hold in your mind Jesus is praying for not only those who are his disciples but he's praying for all those who believe after them And that includes you and me. So 2,000 years later, here we are, uh, believing and walking in faith. And faith is hoping for what you've not seen yet, isn't it? And you and I are like that. We're living by faith. We haven't seen Jesus. We haven't seen God the Father yet, but still we believe. And he's praying for us. And he prays for uh, three things. Well, three things I've pulled out of this passage anyway. The first thing is unity. That we would be united with him, with God the Father, and with one another. And he also prays for glory, his glory to be shared with us. And then the third thing is he prays that he would indwell us. He asks the Father to let him live in us. And um, so if anyone ever asks you what uh, Jesus' prayer was for the church, <laughs> there you go, three points. <laughs> Not as convoluted as, as it's written in John. But let's go through it together. Um, in verse 20, Jesus says uh, that... He's praying not only for those who've, who've seen him and know him and have believed because of that, but for all those who come after. So he's, he's praying an eternal prayer. And I, I think that's something quite unique to Jesus, that he had this ability to step outside of time because he is God. He prays eternal prayers. And you and I are included in this prayer. He knew who we were. Even then, he knew you by name, we're told. In other parts of scripture. He knew you. He prayed this prayer for you and for me. And he prays that we would all be united. That we would be one. And the pattern for that unity. Jesus says in verse 21. Is his relationship with his father. That's the pattern. I'm making a wedding dress at the moment. And um, where is she? Uh, Ellie, where are you, Ellie? Yeah. yeah, and I've used a pattern. And if I didn't use the pattern, we'd be in trouble. Uh, but I've got a pattern. 
that I've cut out uh, the fabric for. And Jesus has a pattern in mind for this unity. It's not just a general unity. It's a very specific unity. And it's the unity that he has with his father. He wants us to have that same unity. And then uh, the basis of this unity comes from abiding and being in the Father and Son. So the way in which we're going to have this unity, again, isn't just a general thing, oh, somehow you'll get there. But the way we'll all have it is by being in him, in God the Father, in Jesus, being one with him. And I don't know if you know the Celtic image for the... um, Trinity, but it's those three. Where is it? Is there one here? No. But you know, it's a, it's got three. Well, I can't even draw it with my fingers. <laughs> it's it's three things like a shamrock, but not a shamrock, and they all intertwine. And uh, that's what Jesus is inviting us into. He's inviting us into Himself and God's relationship. And then the purpose of this unity isn't that uh, we'd form an in-club. But the purpose of it is so that other people who have not yet believed would also receive faith and join in as well. So we are the only club on earth that exists for those who are not yet members. We do not exist for members only. And if you ever get that mentality that, oh, I don't like this church, there's so many new people here, you know, you need to slap yourself around the face and tell yourself to get over yourself because we're not here for that purpose. We're not here to suit ourselves. Yeah, I'm not, I haven't been appointed to pastoral care. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sorry. As Chris Bradley told me once, um, when, when treading through a field of flowers, tread carefully. <laughs> yes, anyway. So, um, but I think my heart and Simon's heart have always been evangelism. We're always, our heart has always been for those who are not yet members. And everywhere we've been, that's what, what we've tried to engender in others, that it's not just for you. It's great that you're here, but it's for everybody who's not here. What about them? Where are they, and how are we going to get them? And Jesus is talking to his father about it, and they come to this agreement that the way people will come in and have faith is if we, who are already in and already have faith, abide in him. Be in God. I don't know if you're aware of when you step out of God. Are you? Do you sense it? Or do you just notice the effects of it maybe later on down the line? I certainly uh, am aware of it, sometimes immediately, but other times, a few days, a few weeks, a few months later, I think, oh, under this heavy cloud, what is it? And something has happened to cause me to step out in one way or other from God. And that's what's gone wrong. And once I realize it, I quickly try and come back in. 
And that's why it's so great to keep meeting every week, to not give up meeting together with other believers, because that's how we come back in, into God. Now, I come from Belfast, Northern Ireland, and there's a street called the Newtonards Road. Uh, we lived up near the top of it. Had to come down it to go to art college. And um, there are 13 churches on that street, and not one of them speaks to the others. Now, what does that say to the watching world or to anybody driving up and down that road? It's not terribly attractive, is it? There's something has gone wrong with those people that gather in those churches. Something has gone amiss that there isn't a unity. And looking at this prayer, the key is being in God, the Father and the Son. Being in them, staying in them, abiding in him. I don't know if you've known people that have left church, given up on being a Christian. I do. Um, And generally, it has been because they have experienced a lack of love in church. And it's, um, it's not the blame game because the church is full of broken people so it may have caught somebody on a bad day uh, but a lack of love is often the thing that turns people away and they go seeking for that love elsewhere in the world and that's really sad because what's going to happen to them is that they're not going to find the thing they crave out there in the world But if people are loved, and we're so grateful that Julie is enabling all of us to do that better, to love one another, to be united together, to stay in God and saturated in his love, then people stay. They want to be there. It's a natural progression, isn't it? And then Jesus speaks about glory He says in verse 22 that uh, he connects glory, his glory that he's got. um, He connects it with the love that the Father had for him. Sorry, that was in verse 24. The love that the Father has for, for Jesus is his glory. That's what the glory is. It's the love of God that Jesus has since before all time. And he says in verse 22 that this glory is what creates unity. And when we focus on his glory and on the love of God, which is his glory, then that's what creates unity. Now, I don't know if you've tried to be united to people, but you'll soon find you'll get quite irritated with them or something will go wrong and you'll have an argument or, you know, it's human nature to actually be disunified. That's the way of the, the world since the, you know, since the fall. That's what's been happening, is disunity. Cain kills Abel. And it, on and on it goes from there. So Jesus' glory is the love that the Father has had for him since before the creation of the world. 
And Jesus says in verse 22 that we've got to display this glory to the world. And when we do that, it increases the world out there, the world that doesn't know him, that doesn't submit to him, that doesn't understand his ways, that world. When we display the glory of Jesus, the love that God the Father has for Jesus and for us, when we display that out there, then the world becomes aware and people are then able to choose. So Jesus is praying that we will not only uh, glorify Jesus, glorify the Father, but that we would do it out there, we would display it. Display the love of God to the world. I went to college to, uh, in Oxford with a guy called Al Hardy who um, went to Bath University and was a bit of a lad, so he told me. And um, I asked him how he became a Christian then if he had no Christian background and was a bit of a lad and had seemed to have a great time and why should he want to be one? And he said, well, his wife had started going to this church and he was loath to go, but he used to have to pick her up afterwards. And he came in to pick her up, uh, and he stood at the back of church. And unfortunately for him, it was a great time of worship, <laughs> in which God's presence was so tangibly there that it knocked him off his feet. And he was left on the floor for several hours, being soaked in the love of God. And that's how he became a Christian. And when he got up off that floor, he was a Christian. I know, I meant unfortunately for the Jack the Lad, <laughs> that had to be no more, that's what I meant. But yes, lucky for him, and he was very blessed, that's right. <laughs> he came into an encounter with the love of God through a worship time of worship, where people were focusing on the glory of Jesus. And the glory of Jesus is the love of the Father for him. From before the creation of the world. That's how glorious Jesus is. God has loved him forever. Saturated him in his love. He's absolutely exuding the love of God wherever he goes. That's why people were healed around him. That's why when he went out into the wilderness uh, for those 40 days, he was able to keep hold of his father and who he was in his father, in the love of God. And then Jesus prays that we would be indwelt by him. He calls his father um, righteous father. And when he does that, he's saying that God has a just view of the world. And anyone who's going to abide and be in God needs to agree with God's view of the world. And that's often where the crunch comes. And Al had some hard work to do after getting himself up up off the floor to agree with God and God's view of himself and God's view of what he'd been like before and God's view of what he was going to do next. In order to be in communion with God, and united with him. We need to agree and submit to him. And Jesus contrasts those who are his disciples very strongly with those 
who are in the world who are not. So he's, in verse 25, he's saying the disciples who know the Father, that's you and me, who agree that the Father's view is right, and those who don't agree that God's view is right, that don't want to submit, who cannot therefore know his love. There's that harsh contrast, isn't it? And it's these ones, the ones who know God as Father and who abide in him and submit to his view. These are the ones that Jesus says, I want to indwell them. And he wants to indwell them so that you and I will reflect the love of the Father for Jesus and for others and for ourselves. It goes back to abiding, doesn't it? Being in. If you are struggling to love yourself, you don't need to work harder at thinking nice thoughts towards yourself. You just need to abide in the love of God. Saturate yourself with the knowledge of God's love for you. If you're struggling to love somebody else, again, the same principle. Abide in his love. Get down into that place where you're one with God. Where you allow Jesus to saturate you with his love. With his precious blood. And he ends the prayer with that request. I was reading on the internet um, about babies that uh, can be rejected by their mothers and can even die as a result. And uh, I thought I would just end here because I think what we need, and uh, I prayed earlier in the service, is that we need a blood transfusion, don't we? That's what Jesus came to do. He came to die, to pour his blood out so that we could have his blood in our veins and have a blood transfusion and live And I'm just going to read this to you. There are three main blood types, A, B, and O. And since babies inherit their blood type from each parent, it's possible for a mother and a baby to have different blood types. With an A, B, and O incompatibility, a mother makes antibodies against her own baby's blood type. And these antibodies can cross the placenta and can break down the baby's red blood cells after she is born leading to jaundice and anemia. And although many children with an ABO incompatibility do not need any treatment at all, some do require intensive phototherapy if the body is very jaundiced. This is usually continued until the mother's antibodies are cleared from the baby's body, which happens after a few days. An ABO incompatibility that leads to jaundice, anemia, and then need for a transfusion can happen if the mother's blood type is O and the baby's is either A or B. So that happens in the natural world. And I was thinking about this and thinking back to Sophie being born and thinking, you know, it's, a, it's an illustration of what's happened to us, is that we were created to be united with God the Father, to be one with him, to be saturated in his love, but there's something gone wrong. The fall has caused this 
strange thing to happen so that we reject the one whom we've come from. And it can even kill us. And God the Father knew this is what had happened at the fall and he made a plan and he sent his son Jesus and he said, my perfect son who's got perfect blood with no fault, no stain, no sin, the thing that kills, the thing that causes the rejection and the disunity between us and God, that thing, he hasn't got it in his blood. And I'm going to send my son and he's going to pour his blood out for us so that anyone who reaches out and touches and trusts in him can have his blood flowing in their veins and can be healed. And this is what Jesus meant about having life, life in all its fullness, his blood pouring through our veins, washing us clean, his blood healing us of that damage that's happened because of the fall, because of that disunity between us and God. He sent his son. Anyone who trusts in Jesus can have his blood. Can be one with God the Father. Can have the love that God the Father had for Jesus. We can have it. You can be as loved as Jesus was and is. Isn't that amazing? That's the promise. And yet we hardly believe it. That God loves us as much as he loves his son. And that Jesus was just the first of many. He was the forerunner. And he's our brother, really. You know, we're all here because of him. And it's not just rejecting God the Father. We end up rejecting ourselves. We end up with huge identity crises. And we live in a time like no other, actually, when identity crises is just enormous. Ten years ago I read a prediction by the NSPCC that was predicting um, an epidemic of depression and related illnesses due to neglect and abuse in childhood. So that's now. That was ten years ago. They said in ten years time we will reap a whirlwind in this nation. And that's what we're seeing. People are so insecure and uncertain of who they are and what they're worth. People are so fearful of rejection. We live in an atmosphere in our society where people are terrified of being rejected. What does our world need? What does our country need? The love of God. The love of Jesus. And the longer you spend abiding in him and saturating yourself with the love of God, with the blood of Jesus, the more impact you're going to have on the community that you live in. So I just wanted to finish with that. Just that. Remember those three pictures. Sophie, a baby, jaundiced, being put out in the sun. That friend of mine having that experience of being showered in the blood of Jesus. And it changing those compulsions that were destroying his life. And then the boy with the club feet. And as we prayed for the love of God... It was incredible to watch bone and tendon and muscles and nerves change before our eyes. This is what God has called you and I to, to be one with him. And as a result of that, we'll be able to be united with one another. 
And as we demonstrate it out in the world and don't shy away from pointing to Jesus and saying it's because of him, his glory, the love that God the Father has for Jesus is because of him that we can be united and we're from all walks of life. And we don't all, we're not all like-minded, but we, we're united. And more will come in. They'll see it. They'll taste it. They'll smell it on you. And they'll want what you've got. Amen.